Uh, while you're sitting down, I want to remind you about the Connect cards in front of you. Please fill those out. Those are for regular attenders, members, as well as uh, visitors, because they're really there as a way to us for no for us to know how we might be able to pray for you, or how we can serve you in these days. So um, please fill those out. You can drop them in the collection baskets up here on the stage or in the black box by the resource wall. That resource wall there is for free. We want you to use those books, take those books, read those books, share those books, because we see them as a good supplement to what God's Word is teaching us about Christ and His church in the way that um, this is what we want to depend on. This is our ultimate authority of Scripture. So uh, we want to understand it as best we can. The more we know it, the greater love we will have for Christ. I also want to remind you, uh, before we get going, of course, again, Foundations class coming up uh, the 1st of May, but also Kairos, uh, the prison ministry that we support, uh, Mike Beisel and Vlad is, uh, are a part of it this year and this semester, and uh, that's coming up on April 28th through the, through, through the 1st, through May 1st. That's where they go in there for four days and share the gospel with those residents there. And uh, it is very transformative in their lives as well as for those who are serving. So the reason why I bring that up is once so you can be in prayer for them as they uh, continue to prepare, as, but also uh, to get ready for the call for cookies. So each year we bake cookies for this thing. They take in thousands of cookies, thousands of dozens of cookies rather, into the, these four days and they eat them all. So I don't even care, remember, it's, it's ridiculous amounts of cookies, but uh, what a wonderful gift. And we as Maranatha have been asked to try and come up with 300 dozen uh, from us. So that sounds like a lot, but uh, we can really get it taken care of. Uh, it's a fun little production thing. More information to come and let you know where you can get the, the stuff for the cookies as well as uh, when they'll be needed by. So more information uh, to come. Also, uh, oh, I already mentioned this earlier. I wanted to remind us about um, the guys who are preaching at Welsh Hills Baptist. Uh, please keep them in your prayers as they're prepping and working. They have a full-time job, but they're serving that church uh, wonderfully. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this time where we can come and we can um, be and worship in this place together. We're grateful for how you build your church. We're grateful that you use us to do so and that we get to be a part of it. Lord, um, we want to honor you today by coming in worship. And so I ask, Lord, for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive this as a way to uh, really produce within us greater faith. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Spirit that leads us and guides us. It's in your Son's name we pray, in the Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, we are in the second to last chapter of Ecclesiastes, which is chapter 11. So if you would, please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, chapter 11 in Ecclesiastes. If you're going to use one of the Bibles in front of you, it's going to be page 523, and it's going to be up on stage uh, there in just a moment once we get there. And while you're doing that, I want to give you what might be the easiest way to look at both of these last two chapters. The tagline for chapter 11 and 12 could be all or nothing. All right, all or nothing. And I say that because that is the only logical response to the Bible's call for faith in the sovereign God who created all things and therefore controls all things. It also is the reality when you realize that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Right? So it's the response, it's the only proper logical response to the sovereign God who created all things, has control over all things, but it's also the reality when you realize we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. All right? So with that very brief introduction to chapter 11, if you would please stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's Word, and I'll go through Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This is what it says. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. 
Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, at the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity." This is the word of the Lord. This is God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that we have a place that we can come and hear from you on a daily basis. Thank you, Lord, that you have given it to us through your Son. And I pray, Lord, today that it does produce within us worship, that it produces within us greater faith and understanding for this life and the next. Lord, let us turn to you in faithfulness. Let us trust in you because you are good. You are worthy of our worship. It's in your Son's name we pray, again, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, as I've already alluded to in the the brief introduction, chapter 11 and chapter 12 actually do connect together quite nicely. And this makes sense because our writer is really beginning to conclude his thoughts or his observations that he's been imparting to us over the past 10 chapters. I also already said that an easy way to summarize these two chapters is with the tagline, all or nothing, right? But let me give you um, a real simple outline in which we're going to follow today. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, tell us to be bold. Verses 7 through 10 tell us to be joyful. And then chapter 12 tells us to be faithful. So as we connect them together, be bold, be joyful, and be faithful. Now, obviously, we're only going to cover those first two because we're in chapter 11. And those ideas of being bold and joyful, what we're going to learn about in this chapter is that in order to be those, we must give our life away. We must give our life away. So what we're talking about here is a life that is about all or nothing, one that can be bold and joyful, but it can only be had in one way, and that is, again, to give your life away. All right? So let's, uh, let's look at that. Let's look at part one. Let's look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and let me reread them for us so we can uh, sort of refresh our memory. It says this, "'Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones and the woman of a uh, to the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. 
In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And as we, we begin to look at these verses, I think it's safe to say, as we've been processing through this, that the writer or preacher here has sort of run the gauntlet with his thoughts and feelings as he's uh, expounding upon or as he's processing for us everything that he's experienced, which in turn has given him the opinion that he is going to then impart to us today or what he is going to explain to us today, which is risk is everywhere. But regardless of that fact, we have been gifted with life and that life carries with it then a purpose. All right, so risk is everywhere, but we've been given life, which is a gift, and therefore it carries with it a purpose. Maybe you remember back in chapter 9, specifically verse 11, where uh, our writer preacher said, Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Essentially, Life, which we all are living, essentially life and what seems like chance happens to everybody. Everybody experiences it. Everybody uh, goes through life in this way, which again, if we stop to consider that reality, that we can't escape time or that everyone has to uh, experience what feels like chance, we could become paralyzed by that idea. The difficulties of life can come upon us. The realities of what seemed like chance could happen to us, and that could paralyze us. It could paralyze us with this feeling of concern or fear. But life is purposed. Therefore, boldness is our charge. This is a reality. Boldness, then, is our charge. Verses 1 and 2 teach this. Verses 1 and 2 in this first part are uh, basically this short parable that utilizes the way commerce was done at this time, the way business was done in that time. Uh, This is the the reference to verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it many days after. Basically, a merchant at this time, the way that they would sell their goods was they would send them away on ships to the neighboring port towns, right? And practically what those merchants then were doing is they were going bankrupt every time they sent out their product, right? They were sending away the very things, all the things that they could find some, uh, some feeling, some sense of security or peace or comfort or provision for their own lives. So they were sending it all away and essentially they were bankrupting themselves as they sent their products out to sea. Because if those ships didn't make it to their destination, those goods would not be sold and they would be bankrupt, right? As well, the only way for them to know if they were successful in that endeavor was to wait for those ships to return, was to wait for them to come back, come back to them. Therefore, the parable here is speaking about us trusting in God's providence, That's what verse 1 is trying to tell us. Providence essentially means this. God's continuing control over the creation that he made while he brings to completion the purpose for his creation. All right, let me read it one more time for us. Providence means this. God's continuing control over the creation that he made while he brings to completion the purpose for his creation. 
So in this very short parable, as these merchants, they were literally having to risk it all so they wouldn't starve. They had to give away everything they had in order to have the provision that they needed. Now, apply this to you and me or or to us as a church, and we can see what the preacher is commending to us. What he's commending to us is to commit ourselves to the enterprise of serving God. He's calling us to be a part of what God is a part of. We, too, must realize that we all, all, all we really can actually do is to put our trust in the one who controls all things. That's really all, the only thing we, we have the opportunity to do is to put our trust in the one who created all things and therefore controls all things. Now, to be honest, at times that can make us feel uncomfortable because we yearn for control. We want to grasp hold of the things that we can manage so it can make us feel uncomfortable, but it doesn't need to be a scary thing. I know that many of us have seen and experienced the reality that this life is short. Many of us have walked through the difficulties and the realities of death. My, my, my wife and I understand these issues. Just this coming Friday is the anniversary of our daughter's death from 10 years ago. She would be 11. And again, this could cause us to recoil from the world, but it's this actual truth that the reason, this is the reason the preacher uses, this truth is actually the reason the preacher tells us that we must give of ourselves today. The reality that life is short is the reason that we must be bold. It's the reason why we must give of ourselves today. This is essentially what Jesus said in John 12, 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This call to this calling to be bold in the face of a short life is an urgent call. It's a call of urgency. It's a call of mission because we never know what sort of disaster may happen on the earth. It's the words of the preacher. We never know. Now, in God's providence, He of course knows all things, right? In His providence, He knows all things, and what we have, all we have, are our observations. And yes, it's true. The Lord has entrusted us with a measure of control over our lives. However, even in that measure of control, even though we try to take on more than what we're actually giving, nothing that we do is outside of the scope of his eternal plan. What I mean by that is that these things that happen to us or uh, happen around us, which we can with good accuracy, predict, still have mystery. The things that happen to us and that happen around us, we do have an opportunity or, or uh, a given amount of control and wisdom to accurately predict them to some degree, but there are still mysteries in this world. There are still mysteries which we don't have an understanding for as, as, as they happen or why they even happen or if they don't happen. In this life, there are always mysteries. This is what verse 3 and 6 are talking about. Every one of us has looked up at the clouds at some point, looked and seen the darkness of them and said, oh, look, rain, right? We've all been able to do this. We've all, uh, we've all been able to do this because we can predict with relative certainty that those dark clouds mean rain. 
which then causes us to take the proper precautions so we don't get wet. As well, all of us have seen a tree lying on the ground and not a single one of us has said, oh, look, it's one of those trees that grow horizontally. No, we haven't done that because our previous observations allow us, again, with relative certainty to know that tree fell and it lies there because it fell there, right? Now, what we don't know as accurately in regards to the clouds is whether the weather, where the weather will go or how that weather actually came to us. And even though a tree might look strong and healthy to us, and even though we might think that it could withstand a storm, the wind may decide to blow it over. Essentially, what this is teaching us is that our attempts at control are vanity. Our attempts at control are vanity because like the wind, life is a mystery to us. Now, something interesting here in verses 3 and 4 uh, is that the word wind that he uses here is the same word for spirit that he uses in verse 5. It's the Hebrew word ruah. And that is interesting because the preacher uses verse 5 to explain to us what he's getting at in those previous verses. And I'm going to spoil it for you. He's still talking about providence. In verse 5, he shows us how the unknown relates to the reality that God is responsible for everything. And he does that by uh, explaining one of God's greatest works. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. What the preacher is getting at here, remember, he's... um, He's, he's talking about and using some ending remarks after a life of, of, of living and a life of observing. What he's getting at is that we can know God. It's possible for us to know God. It's even possible for us to, to learn and, and begin to understand some of his ways. But this wisdom that we are allowed will never be exhaustive. It will never be exhaustive. And that's good news. That is good news because we don't need it to be. We don't need it to be in order to trust in Him or in His ways because God is holy. God is holy, therefore He is righteous. Holy means He is set apart, He is all but different, therefore He is righteous, which means He cannot sin. Therefore He is unable to lie, so we can know that His word is good and true and that His ways and promises will come to pass. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, that sort of lineage of of explanation? He's holy, therefore he is righteous, therefore he cannot sin, he will not lie, his word then is good, and we can trust that his promises will come true. That is the promise that he has given to us. This is what we are able to now understand in his providence. And this is why we do not need to live in fear. We don't need to live in fear. We don't need to hold on tightly to the things of this world that will fade even our lives. This also means that God is the most trustworthy person or being anywhere at any time. So no matter what you're going through, no matter the difficulty that you're facing, as we all have choices and concerns and and, and problems going on in our life, no matter what is happening to you, 
through you, whenever, wherever you are, know that God is the most trustworthy person to lean on. Again, wherever, whenever. He is holy. He is good. And we can trust in his promises. Matthew Henry uh, commented on this verse and he said this, We doubt not the birth of the child that is conceived, though we know not how it is formed. Nor need we doubt of the performance of the promise, though we perceive not how things work toward it. Let me read that again. We doubt not the birth of the child that is conceived, though we know not how it is formed. Nor need we doubt of the performance of the promise, though we perceive not how things work toward it. This is the challenge in this life. The challenge for us. Look at verse 6. Therefore, essentially, in the morning sow your seed. At the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What this is teaching us is that the right response to the uncertainties of life is to continue doing exactly what you are to do. Continue and maintain the effort. Make the most use of your time because it is the very likelihood of hard times. It's the very likelihood that hard times will come, that the wind will blow, that the rain will rain, or maybe it won't that we must exhort ourselves and one another as the church. This is partly the gift of the church, to exhort one another. So exhort yourselves, exhort one another to live boldly, to show some spirit, because there is joy to be had in this life. There is all sorts of difficulty, all sorts of trauma and pain and, and hardship in this broken, stained world because of sin, but there is joy to be had in this life because of Christ. Because of Christ, we can be joyful because our life is not our own. That's the good news of the gospel. There is joy that can be had. So verses 7 through 10 tell us, be joyful. Look at it with me. It says this, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Once again, what the writer preacher is doing is he is matching up the delight of life with the seriousness in it he's matching he's comparing the delight of life with its seriousness and he first captures the warmth of being alive with the words as he says the light is sweet it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. We've all walked out maybe in the morning expecting it to be cold and we bask in the warmth of the sun and we feel it on our face and we take in the air and we experience, we feel joy. And then he goes on to say, as to not be unbalanced in his assessment, that this opportunity for joy may last for many years. In fact, it will likely last to the end of life, but not after that. This is what the writer says. 
but not after that. Darkness will be cast on all of us. In verse 9 then, he shows us another aspect of joy. It's seen and felt in relation to what is right. There is a way to experience joy and it is in relation to what is right. He reminds us that God has promised that he will bring about judgment. How is that joyful? How does that feel like joy? Because it can feel like a weapon that has been fashioned to strike us down. And hear me, it can be that. It can be a way of condemnation, God's judgment, but only if our heart or our joy is in something that is, that is false. It is a weapon, it is a way of condemnation, only if our joy is in something that is false. It is that way only if our heart is bent towards the worship of something or someone else other than Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Yeah, Jesus is the judge because God the Father gave him that responsibility. But as creator and as judge, Christ was sent to this world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. There's joy to be had. Our life has a response then. Our life has a response and it is to worship our Lord and Savior faithfully. We are to live boldly today because of Christ with the life that he has given to us and that should produce within us joy because of him, because of his mission, because of his purposes. Again, there are all kinds of trials There are all kinds of difficulties that we face here in this broken world on this earth. But as James tells us, they are there providentially to produce within us a faith that will endure this life. That is why they are there. So we are to remove vexation from our heart. That is the preacher's application, to remove vexation from our heart. That means to be on guard against the bitterness that will attempt to take root in our hearts because of the trials and the difficulties and the hardships, as well as the realities of death. We must be on guard against that bitterness. We're called also to put away pain from our body. That word pain can also be translated evil. So put away evil from your body. Essentially, remove the sin from your life. And stop letting it destroy your joy. Our goal in this life is to one day hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. If we live for ourselves, if we exist only for our own selfish ambitions, then our ship will not come in. Does that make sense? If we live to serve only ourselves, our ship will not come in. King David understood this. He understood God's providence. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. We must trust in God's providence because He is the one who is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is before everything. He is the Creator. And now today, all things hold together in Him as we all wait for tomorrow. 
We must trust in God's providence because he is trustworthy, because he is good. We know he is trustworthy because we know that he is good. Matthew 10, 29 through 33. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We must trust not in this world, but in Christ for our salvation. Yes, he is the judge. Just verses later, it's explained how Christ came, not for peace, but to divide. So yes, Christ is the judge. And he, yes, he did come to divide, but he came to divide the faithful from the unfaithful, the goats from the sheep, and he is a savior. He is a judge, but he is also a savior. So fear not, because you who can see him, you who can discern who he truly is, you are more valuable than any other bit of his work of creation. You are more valuable to him than any other part of his creation. He is our joy. He is to be our joy, and we then must live boldly for him by being not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Maranatha, as Christ continues to let us grow in our influence in the surrounding areas, as he continues to allow us to grow and and as he builds his church, as we continue to get opportunities for, for boldness, let this be true of us. Let it be true of us that we carry with us in our heart his joy as we work the work that he has placed before us to do in his providence. As he has set forward for this church to grow in the way that it is growing, let's be bold, let's work hard, let's maintain, let's make the most use of our life, let's share the gospel. How is someone to believe? They must hear. And how are they to hear? We have to preach. And what are we to preach? The good news of Jesus Christ. Disciples who make disciples. Let us strive together to make sure that his joy is truly within us. This is our gift. This is what we get to do in honor and glory to him. If you would please pray with me. Father, we praise you and we thank you. Lord, we've come to worship and I thank you that you allow us to do so. I thank you, Father, that you have chosen to save those who were your enemies, who sought to defame you, and you have brought us in and adopted us into your, your kingdom family, that you made us sons and daughters of you. Lord, sometimes your mercy and grace are overwhelming, and it's hard to understand why you love the way you do, but I'm so thankful for it. I pray, Lord, for our church. I pray that as we continue to walk through this broken world, that we seek to glorify you, that we seek to do all things that would honor you. Lord, continue to change our hearts and give us greater faith as we, as we work this out together. Help us to do it with fear and trembling as you are worthy of our worship. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.